Hey everybody, this is Chess Griffin, and welcome back to Linux Reality. This is episode number 44, and the topic this time is going to be system logs. Thought it'd be uh, you know sort of time to talk about some of the some of the good logs that that are kept in your in your Linux system. There's a lot of really great information there, so that's what we'll be getting to. I've also got some listener feedback to get to, uh, and a listener tip. It's really kind of a, a tip by way of email. Uh, no recorded tips, unfortunately, but uh, we'll get to that as well. But first, I've got a few administrative items. Uh, that I wanted to mention. And the very first thing is this is pretty cool. Um, somebody has started a Wikipedia entry for the, uh, for the podcast, which is, <laughs> which is really cool. Uh, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, I'm not, I don't know who, who started, the, who started it or whatever, but, uh, there's one in there. So that's, that's kind of neat. Um, so definitely go check that out. Uh, also I wanted to, uh, Take this opportunity. I should have uh, mentioned this last week. Um, uh, you know, sort of my my you know New Year's episode uh, coming back from my little break. A couple things is first of all, uh, I had uh, I've set up a uh, I had mentioned you know late last year that we we have a new logo now and everything and uh, have done have done some some changes to the graphics and that kind of stuff. And there's a Cafe Press store. That's that. Uh, there's a link to that. If you go to the Linux Reality homepage, there's a link at the in the menu bar. Uh, I think it says shop, and you can just go there and you'll find it. And uh, the Cafe Press store I've got you know set up so you can buy anything that you want with the with the logo on it and the you know all that kind of stuff. It's kind of cool, and all of it is at no cost uh, to me. I mean, in other words, I did it with no markup, so. Uh, I'm not getting, I'm not getting anything from it, but, uh, you know, I thought it'd be kind of a cool way for you guys to, if you wanted to, to buy something and, um, you know, I, Hey, I get free advertising. So that's, that's really kind of cool. And, uh, there's a, there's some neat things. And if you see some other cafe press stuff, cause you know how I'm sure we've all bought cafe press stuff before. It's all kind of the same. You know, if you see something else that you'd like, uh, if you'd like me to set up a little bit differently, or if you'd like to have the design on the back or whatever, I mean, I try to do it a bunch of different ways as far as like the cheese the t-shirts go but if you see something else just let me know just drop me a line also wanted to sort of bring everyone's um attention back again to the forms and the frapper map it's been a little while since i've mentioned those and i'll talk about the forms down uh, a little bit a little bit later in this episode when i get to a particular piece of feedback but uh please do check out the forms and the frapper map if you haven't already uh there's a lot of great uh stuff going on in the forums great listeners and the frapper map is Gosh, the last time I checked, it was, I don't know, 13, 1400, somewhere in that range. I mean, it's a lot of people on there and uh, way more than I would have expected. And so if you haven't put your little pin on there and just kind of let us know where you are, please consider checking that out. Uh, another piece of uh, administrative uh, news is the I had originally set up a way for people to sign up for email notification for new episodes. And I've had to take that down because of spam. People, uh, I was getting spammed. In other words, if they were filling out the form and sending out spam signups, if you will, you know, with spam in it. So I notify the people that I was going to probably have to take it down and I have gone ahead and done that. It just, you know, it just wasn't really worth it. There, there were, you know, I don't know, there was 50 or 60 people using it. So it wasn't really that many. And hopefully those folks will get this, get this news in the, in this particular episode. But the email notification is no more. So let's just stick with the RSS feeds. It's an easy way to be notified. 
Uh, and then lastly, I just wanted to remind everyone also about the voicemail and the audio system, you know, for leaving um, audio comments or audio feedback or listener tips or what have you. The voicemail number is 206-338-6359, and um, you can also use the online audio service. It's free, and uh, that phone number and the link to the audio service, is, is they're both on the Linux Reality homepage in the right-hand column near the top. You'll see all that information, and please do consider calling that voicemail number. It's been kind of quiet lately, and I really would like to get some audio feedback or listener tips it is a uh, long distance call, of course, 206 area code. But, you know, at least if you're in the U.S. and you have a cell phone with a bazillion minutes and no long distance, then it may not really cost you anything. And for folks who are overseas, um, I apologize. I I don't have an international phone number, but I really would love to get some international calls as well. So if, if you can call that or, like I said, use the audio service because that's free uh, anywhere in the world. All right, I think with that, uh, that's about all the, the cleanup administrative things I wanted to get to, so let's get to the main topic about system logs. Okay, I thought it would be a good idea to talk about system logs because uh, we, they've come up from time to time in previous episodes. I've mentioned them here and there, and, but we hadn't really covered them in that, in that much detail, so I thought it might be helpful uh, to kind of give a little bit of an explanation about some of the logs that are available in your Linux system. I don't know if if Windows has logs that are easy to find and read for, um, by the user or not. Uh, probably Mac OS X does because it's based on BSD, and, and I think a lot of the stuff is in BSD as well. But but in Linux, there's a lot of um, uh, text you know logs that are kept by your system, and they're very handy at diagnosing problems and, and, you know, seeing what's up and learning about your hardware and looking at errors and, and um, for security purposes, you know, to check who's logging in. And there's a whole variety of things that you can do with, with the logs. And um, uh, at least I think in most systems, if not all systems, uh, at least all the ones I've come across, they all uh, uh, reside in one particular place on, in the file system, and that's under slash var slash log. Uh, now, in some systems, they have it set up where the files in that folder are not readable by anybody but root. In other systems, they may be set up so some are readable by any user. But, of course, I think as far as write permissions, it's usually always root. But if you go into slash var slash log, you should see a bunch of logs files in there. And they're text files for the most part. There's a couple exceptions that I'll mention here in a few minutes. But... Um, they almost almost all of them have have a suffix on the end uh, of dot log. That's you know dot log, and uh, then you'll see some that have suffixes after that of a dot one and a dot two and a dot three and a dot four maybe. Those are your rotated logs. Those are older versions, in other words. So let's say for example, one of the very first ones you might see is one called xorg dot log. And then you might see xorg.log.1 and xorg.log.2. Well, those are your previous log, those are your, you know, previous weeks that have been rotated out. Uh, most uh, systems are set up to rotate most logs on a weekly basis and to keep four weeks worth of logs. That's, again, just kind of generally speaking. I'm, I'm sure there are distributions that do it differently. But by and large, that's what I've seen is a, is a weekly rotation setup. Uh, so the one, two, three, four are your previous four weeks of rotated logs. 
And so, of course, the one that doesn't have the one or the two or the three or the four is the current week. That's the current version, current log. Uh, so let's see. And before we get into the, the detail of these logs, I do want to mention that both uh, KDE and GNOME um, have uh, GUI tools to enable you to view the logs. Uh, and, uh, in, in, in KDE, I believe it's in the, in the control center. I don't, I don't have KDE up in front of me, so I can't find it. And I don't have GNOME in front of me either, but, uh, <laughs> I think both of them have GUI administration tools, uh, to enable you to view the logs, uh, without having to dip down into the command line. But I, I do recommend, uh, using the command line to, to really hop on over, <clears throat> excuse me, to the slash var slash log directory and poke around and, and see what you see there. Uh, and and before I get started on these, I also want to mention that <clears throat> because uh, slash var slash log keeps these logs, and because they can grow law you know large, um, sometimes what some people will do in setting up their partitions for their system initially, you know during an I installation, will put var on a separate partition. And there's a couple of reasons actually. It's not just the logs that can grow, but you know a lot of times var is the place where um, where Apache keeps its its files, you know, usually sometimes it's slash var slash www. Uh, var can also be the place where um, I think some FTP uh, clients sometimes keep their, uh, well, they usually make a home slash FTP. But anyway, var being, um, you know, standing for sort of variable data, it has um, stuff in there that can grow quite rapidly or and even unexpectedly like the logs let's say let's say for example you have a log that keeps track of ssh logins and let's say your your box gets you know just just attacked by some somebody trying to hack in i mean i guess you know i mean the ssh login logs could grow and grow and grow and if you have uh, var on the same partition as your main root partition then it could fill up your entire hard drive, in theory at least. And I've seen people mention that this has happened to them. So sometimes people will put var on a separate partition, so it'll fill up the var partition, but it won't fill up your entire hard drive. Okay, so anyway, uh, back to slash var slash log. Uh, you'll see, like I said, a bunch of log files in there, and they may vary by system. Some systems may not have every every particular log, and some logs are, of course, dependent on the software you have installed. Uh, because you kind of have system logs and you have application logs, and I'll be kind of mixing mixing the two as I go through them. But um, you know, if I read off a log name and you don't have it, don't worry about it. It may be that your system puts that information someplace else. So, um, okay. So the first log that is often um, seen is the again the xorg.log file, and this is the log that that uh, that logs all of the. Uh, uh, initialization and configuration and possible error message dealing with your with your X server, you know, with your graphical uh, server. That's the, you know, Xorg is the is the server that um, is the piece of software that that sort of runs the graphical environment. Uh, X is 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 run before your desktop environment or your window manager of choice. So, um, you know, X kind of runs on on top of the main system and then your desktop environment runs on top of X. And you may have had to go into configure slash Etsy slash Xorg, uh, sorry, slash Etsy slash X11 slash Xorg.conf file uh, for your mouse or your keyboard or your monitor or whatever. And if you try to start your graphical environment and it, and it you know, it bails out on you, if it exits out with some kind of error message, that's going to be in this log file. So it's very helpful 
um, to view and to take a look at this file. And you can use, you know, it can get pretty long. So let's say, for example, you're having a problem with your NVIDIA card, let's say. Uh, well, what you can do is use grep, and I've talked about grep before in the episodes on shell commands, but you could do, for example, you could say grep NVIDIA uh, slash var slash log slash xorg dot log, and then, um, you know, the pipe command, and then less. And if you remember from our discussions about shell commands, what that's doing is it's it's searching for the for the term NVIDIA in that log, and then using the pipe command, meaning it's redirecting that to less, which as you remember is a sort of a, um, it's a, it's a piece of software that lets you view text on the screen. It's kind of like a text viewer, you know, if you will, not an editor, just, just a viewer. Uh, so it pipes out that, uh, the results of that grep, the, you know, the results of that search into less, and then you can see it will just show you the lines dealing with NVIDIA or that have the word NVIDIA in there. So that's pretty helpful. And of course, you can just view the log without using grep. You can just do, for example, less slash var slash log slash xorg.log, and that will just you know print um, the xorg.log file to the screen one page at a time. And when you're using less, by the way, you can use page up or page down to go back and forth. You can also use the space bar to go forward and the B key to go back. And then when you want to exit out, when you're done, hit Q for quit. Uh, so that's xorg.log. That's a very helpful file. I've had to use that file many times in diagnosing X problems, <laughs> which I'm sure we've all had. Uh, okay, the next one is uh, auth or a you know auth.log. Kind of stands for authorization, and uh, what this log does is it tracks uh, the uh, the authorization or the authentication of users, or really you know whenever a password prompt appears. Um, in the system, you know, when you're doing stuff, that will be um, that will be logged in this particular log file. Uh, so that's the auth.log file. Uh, another one that you probably have is cron.d, or it could in some systems I've seen it as cron.log. And as you can tell, that's that's the log of your of your cron daemon. And cron, we've had an episode on that. That's the handy, very very handy little utility that kind of will run things on certain scheduled times. Uh, so, and that's cron. And so cron, what will cron will do is it will show you, it will list an entry each time it checks um, certain, you know, like for example, if you have slash Etsy slash cron period D, you know, daily, or I guess it's cron dot daily, I guess is what it is. Um, you know, in Etsy, those are the different directories where you can just drop scripts and uh, they will be executed depending on whether it's in the cron.daily or cron.hourly or whatever. Uh, so those will be in this log as well as if you use crontab, you know, the crontab file we talked about where you can you can save a command in your own crontab even as a regular user and cron will execute any entries you have in your crontab at whatever times you designate, of course. Uh, those, you know, successful completions will also be in that, um, in that log file. Uh, okay. And then there is, um, daemon.log. Um, daemon.log is also very handy, uh, because what daemon.log does is it logs when certain system daemons start or stop or what, you know, if there's any problems with them or whatever. And it's very common for you, for, you know, for your system to use daemons. Uh, for example, 
the SSH daemon uh, or the GDM, which is your, you know, or KDM, which is the, the login manager using, you know, the KDE version or the, or the GNOME version. Uh, if you're running a LAMP server, uh, you know, LAMP stands for Linux, Apache, MySQL, um, and PHP. And let's say you're running MySQL and, uh, or MySQL and you're running the, the, the daemon, the MySQL D daemon, uh, that will be in there. Or let's say you're running Apache and so you may have the daemon HTTPD, which is the Apache web server. That will be logged in there. Or another example, another common example is you're running NTP which is the, or NTPD, I guess it is, that's the daemon that um, will go on the internet and, you know, um, it's a time synchronization daemon. It will synchronize your system clock with the world clocks or whatever. Uh, so all that kind of, all those kinds of daemons and, and things will, will be in the daemon.log file. Uh, all right, let's see, the next one is errors.log, and this is one I haven't used too much, even though the name sounds like you know, <laughs> it would be really handy. It's just that most of the errors I've come across are, are have their own separate logs. But uh, errors.log will have any kind of general system errors. Um, the most common use I've had for it is is for drive errors. Like if I'm ha if I'm having problems mounting a drive or um, something along those lines, that that will often be in the errors.log file. Uh, let's see. The next two here are kind of. They're kind of different. There's fail log and there's last log. And these, I believe, at least the last time I checked, these are actually binary files. And you need to, you, so you can't view them just as a normal user or whatever using less. You need to actually use fail log or last log as commands uh, in order to view the contents of these logs. Uh, last log is handy. What last log will do is it will show you uh, all the users on the system and it will show you the last time they logged in. And uh, fail log will also, I think it shows you failed login attempts. I think that's right. Uh, I haven't, again, I haven't used those too much, but, um, but those, are, those, are, those are there in case you find them handy. Uh, let's see, another one that can be handy, especially if you're doing a lot of uh, compiling of custom kernels, is the kernel.log. And this has all messages from the kernel. Uh, so if, you're, if you've you know, configured a kernel, I mean compiled a kernel, and you're trying to load a module or something and you have problems and it doesn't work, and anything like that is going to go to the kernel.log file. It's just kind of interesting actually to go through there sometime just for fun and just kind of see the types of um, messages that your kernel puts out. It's very, it's very interesting, and it really gives you an appreciation, I think, at least for me, of the way the whole Linux system works and the kernel and just, I don't know, it's just really cool. I just, I'm just continually amazed by the work that, that the Linux developers, the kernel developers, and just, you know, all kinds of developers of the system and the software, that, the tools that, that we all use. I just, I just have a real, real appreciation for the hard work that everybody does. Anyway, that's a tangent. I just, I just think it's so cool. Okay, uh, next one is messages.log. Messages.log is a handy one because it will give you, it will save messages uh, from applications, usually oftentimes error messages. Like let's say you run an application and it seg faults or quits on you or dies. Sometimes those, not all the time, but sometimes those messages will go into the messages.log file. Uh, so that's that can be handy. It can just also spit out, you know, as a lot of times, um, you know, these a lot of times GUI tools are really just sort of front ends to uh, command line tools. And so a lot of times you can see 
what the GUI tool is actually doing at the command line in the messages.log file. It will actually print out in that log, you know, all the back end um, uh, command line stuff that the GUI tool is doing. So that can be kind of handy. Uh, another one is the syslog.log. Uh, and also, kind of going along with it, there's some, in some distributions, you'll have a log called everything.log. And both of these are, they're sl slightly different, but they both have a lot of information. Uh, in some systems, I think the syslog.log kind of combines everything or a lot of a lot of the other logs will sort of also put their entries in syslog. So syslog could have, you know, um, just, I mean, it could have, it could have everything. And then the other logs have everything separated out by, you know, by whatever application or what have you. But um, syslog can be used um, to look at um, uh, just any kind of system information and, and any kind of, uh, you know, again, just a sort of a, a, a you know, collated or, you know, a, a combined set of, system logs of all kinds. Um, and like I said, the everything.log is another, is another log that's in, in, that is in a lot of systems. Then you'll often also have separate logs for different applications. Um, for example, Apache, uh, you'll have oftentimes separate logs for Apache. In fact, many kinds of logs for Apache. And usually what Apache will do is it will create a subdirectory in slash var slash log called Apache or HTTP, I think. But usually it's called Apache or maybe Apache 2 if you're running Apache 2. But And in there you'll have all kinds of logs. You'll have access.log, I think. You'll have errors.log. And and um, and then that can get kind of technical on how you configure Apache on how you have uh, the logs set up. But uh, but anyway, so Apache will have its own logs. You know, CUPS, uh, the, the, the print server that we've talked about before in setting up um, uh, network printing that will have a log file, which is very handy if you're trying to troubleshoot the, you know, if you're unable to connect to a cups printer, uh, that's very handy to take a look at Samba. Same thing. If you're trying to connect over Samba to a share or you're trying to do, you know, set up net windows networking and you're having problems with Samba, check out for the, you know, the, the Samba log is, uh, is very handy. Uh, so, and there's many others, you know, a lot of times you'll, you'll install an application and it will, create a log and put it in there. Um, I, I can't think of another one off the top of my head, but I know I've seen many other, well, FTP, you know, if you set up FTP clients, a lot of times any, a lot of servers, you know, of course will have their, will have their system logs. So any kind of server package of any kind, you, you will usually set up some kind of log in slash var slash log. Now, when you're taking a look at these files, as I mentioned, you know, using less, I, I find really handy. Uh, because it's just it's just very easy. Uh, you can also use, and I've mentioned this before in this in the episodes on on shell commands, head and tail, um, head to look at the first x number of lines of a file, and tail to look at the x number, the last number of lines in a file. So, for example, you could do tail dash n one hundred slash var slash log slash um, xorg.log, and it will show you the last 100 lines of that particular log file. Or you can also do head-n100, you know, slash var, slash log, slash xorg.log, and that will give you the first 100 lines of that log file. Another really handy thing is, and this is, if you're using the messages.log file, this is, this is very handy. I've used this a lot, is tail, um, and then space, and then a dash f. And what that does is, and then the name of the log. So, for example, tail-f, 
slash var slash log slash messages dot log. What that will do is it will kind of it will it will show you a real time output. Uh, so rather than just spitting out some lines of the file and then you know exiting, it will spit out a certain number of lines and then kind of it looks like it's 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 uh, um it looks like it's hung like in your terminal if you type tail uh, space dash f space slash var slash log slash messages dot log it will print out some lines and then you will not see a prompt and again you you know you'll think that it has hung but it's not what it's doing is it's pausing there's no more messages to print it's giving you a real time printout of the messages dot log file as things are logged and a way you can test this and this is where this comes in handy is let's say you're trying to find the mount point or the device node that's assigned to a USB stick. So you stick your USB stick in with that, you know, messages.log uh, on real-time output, you know, with tail-f, and then you'll see a bunch of messages scroll by, and you'll see which um, device node was assigned, you know, slash dev slash SDA1, for example, or whatever. Uh, so that's very common, and that's and then whenever, you know, whenever you want to quit, Whenever you want to stop looking at it, I think you can just hit Control C, and that will stop that real-time uh, log. Uh, you know, of course, the the text file will will continue saving any logged messages, but you just won't have any more of that real-time stuff. Now, about the uh, rotation here, uh, the log rotation. A lot of times, you don't need to worry about that. Usually, most systems, I think, nowadays are set up with log rotate. That's the package. That's the application that does the automatic log rotation. But if you're curious about it, uh, go into slash Etsy slash, uh, well, you can take a look at slash Etsy slash logrotate.conf. Usually that's the file. That's the um, configuration file for logrotate. You can also take a look at some systems have also have what uh, a setup where you have uh, slash Etsy slash logrotate.d, and that's a directory where within that you have configuration files for some of the application logs, like Cron and Samba and Apache and all that. Um, also, if you want to take a look at the Cron job, because see, log rotate just does the rotation, but you still need to have a Cron job call log rotate. So if you, a lot of times you'll want to go into slash Etsy slash Cron period D or daily, or I think, you know, and then slash log rotate, and you'll see the cron job for log rotate. And again, usually you don't have to change any of this stuff. Most systems, at least the ones I've tried, have all of this set up correctly by default. But it's interesting, at least, I'm just pointing out these these um, these locations of these files and directories. If you're interested in sort of getting down in, into the nitty-gritty of how uh, log rotate works and it's it's pretty cool because what you can do is you can even set up log rotate if there are logs for custom applications that you've installed that don't you know automatically rotate you can create a log rotate entry you know a new entry and have you and have that log rotated if you want uh, so that's you know that has come in handy I've done that once or twice before I can't think of for what application but um, but it, it has come in handy so so that's sort of the basics of the system logs. Uh, there's a you know several others usually um, in there, but those are kind of the main ones. And you know for some reason every system does these a little bit differently. But by and large, the stuff I've run through here is pretty much the same for most distributions, at least to get you started and kind of give you the gist of how these uh, system logs work. So uh, I think we're going to check out a listener tip from Bill.
Okay, Bill's listener tip came by way of email, um, and as I mentioned at the outset here, this is fine. I, I really hope that some folks will consider calling the voicemail or using that ODO service to send me some audio feedback and audio uh, listener tips, just because I really, I just really like hearing y'all's, uh, you know, voices. Uh, so anyway, this is an email from Bill, and it's a long email. I'm, I'm not going to read it all. Uh, but he, let me pick up what he's getting at here. He said, um, this is in response to something I read just last week. He said, you had a message from a Windows user considering Linux but afraid to move over because of the lack of usability. That's been one of my issues all along. I think the biggest thing is that it's so unfamiliar that anytime I want to do something that I haven't done before, it tends to take hours of research. Nothing is ever easy. So what he wanted to do here in his email was recommend two different distributions similar but different in their own way, and, and he says helpful in their own way. And the first one is DSL Linux, which I have mentioned before. Uh, but he says, uh, you know, the advantage of that is it comes with its own built-in Windows virtual machine type system, uh, which, is, uh, which, is, which is really cool. I think I mentioned this in talking about my USB stick one time. If you downloaded the embedded version of DSL, in fact, it comes with a sort of a free um, virtual machine. I think it uses QEMU, and it contains a batch file for Windows and a bash script for Linux, so you can run DSL within a window on Windows or on Linux without actually having to install it. So his first point was we're talking about DSL, uh, which I agree with. I think that's a fantastic little distribution. I just I just love it. But his second recommendation here, which is an interesting one, I mean, we've we've mentioned it before. But he, he wanted to talk about FreeSpire, and FreeSpire is not a, it's not a distribution I've tried ever. I've tried Linspire once uh, many years ago, but I have never tried FreeSpire. But this is what he says. Let me just read this. He says. This is a transitional distro focused on Windows user. It contains a fantastic new content download system. Rather than trying to work your way through apt-get or the other one whose name I can never remember, yum, <laughs> they have a very simple application store. 99% of the items in the store are open source slash free. A few are commercial offerings, mostly commercial games that you'd expect to pay for anyway. Most are high-quality completed products. There used to be a subscription cost to the store, but now they've gotten rid of that, so FreeSpire is completely free. The main thing is that most everything you would want is right there in the store. You don't have to go and find a different repository for each new project, and installing a new program is easier than Windows. The most novice Linux user can easily bring up the store and start clicking programs slash packages to install. A single click and the system queues them up and starts the download, sometime later if they just magically appear in your start, net, in your start menu. The tree layout of the store is identical to that of the start menu, so it's easy to find what you have selected. FreeSpire tries to emulate Windows look and feel wherever possible, so Windows users will find it a much easier transition. Linspire is pretty much the same thing, but offers a cheap help subscription, which, may, which many may find helpful. No endorsement here. I've never used it. Thanks for the show. I'll continue listening and learning. And that's from Bill. Uh, well, Bill, that is a a good tip, and I'm I'm glad you passed that along. I hope um, I hope that folks you know find that helpful. I do think DSL is 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 fun to play with. It's still somewhat technical, I think. Not, I mean, not really, but I mean, you know, because I think it uses Fluxbox that a lot of people aren't used to right clicking to get the context menu and all that jazz. Although I guess. 
DSL does use icons on the Fluxbox desktop to make it a little bit easier. But but I, I, I mean, basically, I agree with you. DSL is just awesome anyway. It's just so neat to be able to run it off a USB stick. He mentioned in his email, I didn't read it, but he mentioned that DSL actually sells a USB stick with I guess probably their embedded version already installed and ready to go. So that's that's kind of neat. I don't know how much that is, but that might be easier than downloading it and setting it up yourself. Uh, the the only catch I have found with that um, embedded version, I, I think I mentioned this before, I don't remember, but in Windows, you need to, um, on that batch file, if you click it and you try to run it and if it doesn't work, the fix is very easy, although it's hard to find. You right-click on the batch file in Windows, and there's a, in the, in one of the tabs, I forget where, you can select which version of Windows to emulate or something. And it's, you know, I just, I think it was set on XP, which is, I think is what I was on when I was running it and it didn't work. I just selected like Windows 98, I think, uh, for emulation mode. And that worked uh, fine. So that's, you know, just one little tip if you have problems with the batch file running uh, for DSL. So... Uh, Bill, thank you very much for that listener tip. And now it's time to check out some listener feedback. Okay, first uh, piece of uh, feedback here is from Tony. And Tony says, hi, Chess. Years ago, I went over to the dark side and became a Windows MCSE. Well, it paid the bills. <laughs> anyhow, anyhow, the force is strong. I've discovered how impressive Linux is, and I'm currently using Ubuntu Dapper to teach myself a new skill. I've reached episode 25, and it would be really useful if you could make a text file available in the show notes that shows what commands you are typing. Just occasionally, I have a little trouble with your accent and can't work out quite what you are describing. Another inter internationalization issue is that in some countries, what you describe as the pound sign would be and I don't even know how to, how to say it, but it's the it's the UK pound sterling currency symbol. It looks almost like an L with a little squiggly line in the middle. Um, anyway, thanks for the show and the time you devote to it. Kind regards and Happy New Year from England. And that's from Tony. Uh, well, Tony, let's see. First of all, um, on the show notes, yes, I've been very slack in that regard. I apologize. I've done text show notes for a couple of episodes here and there, and they're already linked to them. But the ones that people always ask me about, I think, are the Windows networking one, which is what I think you're on, episode 25. I believe that was one of those. So I have those written, and I just need to put a link to them and put them up on the website, and I will do that this week. So um, thank you for that. Thanks for the reminder. As for the uh, pound sign and the UK pound sterling currency symbol, you're right. My bad. I just, you know, <laughs> I was thinking pound sign you know, as like the number sign, because that's, well, in here in the U.S., that's often called a pound sign, meaning pounds as in weight, um, uh, not necessarily pounds as in the, you know, British currency. And obviously, yes, that is a different symbol, not the number sign, but anyway, the hash mark. Uh, so <laughs> thank you for that, Tony. I appreciate it. I really try to, you know, um, really try to cover all the bases here. So all right, let's see. Uh, moving on here. Uh, let's see. Next one is um, uh, from Nick. And actually, Nick uh, goes by the last known God. A lot of people probably know him in the forums. He has been an amazing contributor in the forums. And before I read his email, I just wanted to thank him for uh, the great participation. I talked about the forums in the very beginning. And um, him and Anita and, you know, Halitech, and there's so many listeners 
who post in the forums who are very active on a daily basis. And it would, you know, I would, I hate to mention a bunch of names for fear of leaving somebody out. And I'm, you know, I know I would, but, uh, I just wanted to thank, you know, folks who really contribute because there's some that have hundreds, you know, of posts, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of posts. And in fact, I think Nick here is almost at a thousand and he may be at a thousand by the time this comes out. So anyway, I wanted to read his email here. Um, and cause it was really nice. And he just says, Hey, Chess, I know I'm in the forums pretty much all the time, but I never really send you emails. I was just sitting here on my Slackware machine, listening to episode 43 and think to myself, there is very little chance that I would have been using Linux as much as I do now if it wasn't for this podcast. It's not that Linux is terribly difficult. The Mac was taking care of what I needed at the time, but after uh, really getting down and dirty with it, I couldn't imagine not using it. Linux is simply the best, and I thank you for all the information you have provided both to me and to all the other new users. Thanks a lot, Chess. Oh, and if you read this on the show, tell everyone I said they were crazy if they have not been hanging out in the forums. It's a great place with great people. Take it easy. And, um, yeah, see, that's just a really nice email, and he's exactly right. The forums are just fantastic, and it's because of people like him, really. Uh, and it's been very friendly. A lot of new folks coming in. I try my best to respond to everybody who posts in the introductions uh, section of the forums, and uh, I got really delayed there in November and December and got way behind. But I think I've got caught up. There's probably a few I haven't responded to. But I try to within a, a week or a couple of weeks or something like that. But uh, we have daily stuff going on in there. And there's people in there all the time. And it's really a fantastic place. So if you have not registered in the forums, please do that. And please go check it out and uh, say hi to the last known god. Uh, let's see. Last email that I'll read here in this episode, and then I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, this one is from Chris. And Chris says, hey, Chess. Uh, my name is Chris, and I just started listening to your podcast about six weeks ago. I've pretty much listened to most of them and have learned so much. I just I, I got my first taste of Linux back in 99-2000 when my diehard Windows friends had an old Red Hat 8 installation. I think it was. Then later in probably 03 with a live Nopix CD, which I played with, didn't take seriously, and threw in the CD pile after that. I really had no interest to any extent in Linux being a Windows power user, if you will. But I wanted a website, so I looked around, and most hosting companies use Linux instead of Windows, and it blew my mind and couldn't understand why they would do that, because to me, Windows was it. Further research set me straight and corrected my erroneous thinking. I have... Um, I have I still have a WinCoff Doze installation only for iTunes and a program for college that is Windows specific and Wine will not run, unfortunately. I've become attached to Fedora 6 like bread and butter. It is much easier and more powerful to use than I ever expected, especially by using your explanations and help. I plan to make a donation as soon as my tax return gets here, and I have stuck my pin in the frapper map. Thanks for all your hard work and keep it up. And that's Chris from Texas. Uh, Chris, thank you very much for that. And, uh, uh, I appreciate those nice words, and I'm really glad that you're liking Fedora 6. Uh, that's that's a fantastic distribution. I know I've been talking about trying to get to Fedora, and I've again I've been lazy about that. I've had so many other things I wanted to talk about and haven't done it, uh, but I'm I'm going to try to get to Fedora at some point. Uh, but um, in the meantime, um, those are those are some great words, and I'm glad that that you've you know, stuck with, um, you know, stuck with Linux that you've come back after trying it a few years ago. And you're right about the, um, about the web servers. I do, I hang around a lot in forums about, um, web hosting and, and dedicated servers and 
co-locations and I have a um, a server of my own that's off-site that runs Debian. It's a VPS. It's a virtual server, but I mean, it's it uses Zen, so it's pretty much as if it was its own machine. I mean, I've got my own, um, you know. I mean, it's it's it really is almost like your own dedicated machine. But and I have servers here at home, and I just I really get into all that kind of stuff. I'm I'm not a sysadmin or anything like that, but but I'd say I don't know what the numbers are, but it seems to me that the vast majority of of websites and uh, hosting companies use Linux. I would never use Windows for for my web hosting or anything like that. I'm just, you know, I don't know. I, I just, that doesn't, that just not for me. So, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I'm glad that you're, um, you know, st- sticking it out and, and like Fedor. And uh, thanks so much for sending that email. It really means a lot to me. And actually, before I close it up, um, I wanted to pick up on one thing that Chris mentioned. He talked about Fedora. This doesn't have anything to do with Chris specifically, but um, a couple people. So I've gotten several emails over the last few weeks from from people, uh, from other users, other listeners who have asked me to. Um, they 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 feel that I talk too much about one particular distribution, or that I I don't talk enough about another distribution. Um, and I don't know, I, I, you know, I, I try very hard to be very distro agnostic, even though I've now mentioned the distributions I use, but I certainly, um, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to push any one distro over another or any one desktop environment over another. Kind of the whole point of this podcast is really to kind of introduce people to sort of the landscape of Linux and the variety that's out there and talk about different distributions and different uh, desktop environments and, and things like that. I mean, I, you know what I like doesn't is not important. I think that what's important is that people try things and try different distributions and try different desktop environments and try different web browsers. And that's why I have these episodes on the on the different you know uh, applications in these different categories because I just want to. There's so many great projects and so many great developers out there contributing all over the place to many different distributions and many different desktop environments and different applications that I want to try to, you know, get the word out about them. And I don't want to focus on just one thing. And uh, so if you feel that I focus too much on one distribution or not enough on another one, just, you know, just don't worry about it. I mean, I'm going to be covering everything from time to time here and there and, and you know, that kind of stuff. So it's just, like I said, I'm, I'm trying to be very distro agnostic here and uh, just talk about Linux. That's what this podcast is about, Linux in general and uh, because I just I think every distribution and every piece of software has something to offer. Uh, so anyway, enough of that. Uh, I think that's all the voicemail I've got, or I should say email, not voicemail. I haven't got any voicemail because you you know you guys got to call. You got to call that voicemail. So anyway, I think for now it's time to close it up. <laughs> Okay, everybody, I think that's it for this week. Um, hope you enjoyed that little discussion about system logs. Who knew that little text files could be so interesting? <laughs> I guess that's, uh, that pretty much sums up Linux in general, doesn't it? Um, text files can be so interesting. Anyway, uh, I hope you enjoyed that. And, uh, you know, send me that voicemail. Send me that uh, audio feedback using either the, uh, the voicemail number uh, or the Odeo web, uh, web-based uh, service. You know, if you want to do that, that's free. All that information is on the main Linux Reality homepage. Just go to linuxreality.com, and in the right-hand column, you will uh, see the phone number and the link to the Odeo service. 
Also, wanted to mention again that I've got all those new feeds uh, that I'm working on. Uh, they're still sort of technically in beta, but I haven't had any complaints. And I can tell from looking at the uh, feed burner stats that a lot of people are using those alternate feeds. So we have one that has, you know, all the MP3s or all the AUGs or just the last 10 MP3s or just the last 10 AUGs and, you know, all different kind of ways. So we've got a feed for everybody. Uh, check that out. Check out the forums. If you have not subscribed to the forums, please do so. Or registered, I should say. And uh, the Frapper Map. Please feel free to leave your pin on the Frapper Map and let us know when you, where you are from. I think that's very cool. I really like to see where everybody's from. This is an international podcast with an international audience. And so, um, you know, do that and let us know where you're from. Anyway, hope you guys have a great week, and uh, let's see, next week is going to be episode 45. You know, the other thing is we're coming up on one year. Uh, I don't have the, the date in front of me, but my first episode was sometime in February of 2006, so uh, I'm pretty excited about that. It's pretty cool, and it's because of you guys, because of all the great feedback and all the great participation in the forum, so thank you so much. Again, have a great week. I'll catch you all next time. In the meantime, this has been episode 44 of Linux Reality. Y'all take care. Bye-bye.